Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So what are the top lines this week? Uh, This week, things are going to be a little boring on the Republican side over the next couple of weeks. But we got some excitement in Utah and Arizona. We will talk about how things look moving into the next big phase of the GOP contest. Then there's been violence at some Trump rallies. Who do voters think is to blame? We'll take a look at the newest polling on this question. What type of Republican tends to like Donald Trump? And how does this look with the broader electorate? We'll look at some of the latest polling coming out of the 2016 general election matchups to see if Donald Trump has a real chance of being President Trump. The Supreme Court nomination remains in the headlines. We'll take a look at polling on what Americans think about the Supreme Court and uh, the nomination of Merrick Garland. Uh, We'll also look at some data on pay in the workplace uh, and when women are on the job, how that affects average salaries. And finally, we are headed into Easter weekend. We've got some very sweet polling data to go over. But first, the poll of the week, and this may be the most popular thing we've ever posted on Facebook that was not about Donald Trump. And that's Sorry, Michael <laughs> Willie, the guy who crashed the Lens Focus Group. You right? held the top spot for a while, but... <laughs> yes, and sorry, Matt McMillan, who wrote the first of many pieces about um, uh, Trump and authoritarianism. All of that has been tied essentially with a online poll done in the UK by what's it called the National the Natural Environment Research Council please name our new boat and you could submit an entry in addition to voting on the entries that they had and someone submitted the entry Bodie McBoatface <laughs> That is far and away the number one uh, vote recipient, Bodie McBoatface. Now, of course, the Natural Environment Resource Council says we are going to actually decide the winner. We're going to just take this under advisement. So Bodie McBoatface may not actually win. I don't know. This is this could be like if Donald Trump doesn't get the Republican nomination and there are riots, like will there be riots if Bodie McBoatface, if the people's choice is not honored? I don't know. But this I, I don't know who this person is, but maybe this is uh, uh, somebody said maybe Bodie McBoatface is the UK's own Donald Trump moment. People should not be allowed to vote for things. We're idiots. Democracy is the, the worst form of government <laughs> except for all the rest. <laughs> now, don't blame me. I voted for David Attenborough, who if you don't know, just all these lovely, lovely um, nature videos for decades uh, in his beautiful accent. And he is he is out. I mean, he's like almost as old as my dad who could, you know, barely sit through esteemed elders day at Lucy's school today. But but David Attenborough is like, you know, the North Pole, South Pole, like he's out there with his, you know, winter gear. 
looking at every single animal on planet Earth is really fantastic. So I voted for him. Uh, so I voted for Pillar of Autumn. So that was the RRS Pillar of Autumn, which is uh, – <laughs> It is the the ship from the Halo video games. So, that is really funny. Um, I, I, At least it's an actual boat name. Yes, it is. It is the name of a ship. Um, so there you have it. That was that was my my nod to uh, my nod to a weird name, but nonetheless, it is still probably not as funny as. Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> Bodie McBoatface. Do not go vote for Bodie McBoatface. You can go check it out. We'll put the link in our show notes. But do not vote for them. Vote for David Attenborough or Pillar of Autumn if you want to. You know, David Attenborough is like a like a real name. That That's a real be. name. Pillar of Autumn is is just a little bit of a joke yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> so we had some we had some voting this past Tuesday. Um, I guess this is Super Tuesday number four, but we didn't have any exit polls. So it's like exit polls. That are, does didn't not happen. feel very super. No. That is a very underwhelming Tuesday. It's just a regular old stinking Tuesday, yeah. I think. Um, but, you know, the Democratic side was – so there are no exit polls, so it makes it even harder to, you know, get excited about the next day, I suppose. Um, and the Democratic side, I think the results really were right on with what the public polling – which was fairly limited actually, but what the polling uh, public polling had predicted. On the Republican side, there was a little bit more excitement though. On the Republican side, um, you had the polls predict the ultimate outcomes, but – Actually, if, well, first of all, there was not a ton of polling. As we mentioned last week right. on the show, we are in this polling desert now where everybody seems to have run out of money to conduct research. And so like it's it is slim pickings. Um, but the polling in Arizona wound up showing that Trump was going to defeat Ted Cruz by an average of 13 points. And the final result was Trump winning by 22 points. Uh, so does this count as a miss? And I think the answer is sort of. So one of the big problems. Um, let's take, for instance, I think the last poll that came out, it was by Fox um, and Opinion Savvy. And they asked a three-way ballot test. They said, are you going to vote for Trump? Are you going to vote for Kasich? Are you going to vote for Cruz? And their poll had Trump at 46 percent of the vote. And ultimately, Trump got 47 percent of Arizona voters. So you think not bad, right? That poll must have nailed it. But the thing is, voters didn't have a three-way race on their ballot. You had a lot of early voting in Arizona. And so you wound up with a situation where Marco Rubio is not even asked in that Fox opinion savvy poll. But when you counted up the ballots, Rubio had more votes than John Kasich. Ouch. Ouch. I know. So that's why there's more and more buzz about how long is Kasich going to be in the race. Um, So the poll wasn't necessarily wrong in the sense that – I mean, it did get Trump's ballot number correct, but it was wrong in the sense that the options it was providing to respondents did not match up with the responses that other people had. So maybe if you had asked, have you already early voted or not, and then for the early voters, give them that full range of of options, maybe you'd have found – Oh, gosh, 10 percent of Arizona voters voted for Marco Rubio and you would have had more accurate data. But it was a winner-take-all state though, wasn't it? It was a winner-take-all state. Well, so this is one of those things where I think the poll got the ultimate winner right. So nobody's looking at it as like, oh, what a polling miss. Um, But – it was off by a lot in terms of what the final result was. So right. do we count it as a polling miss or do we say, 
Well, the polls said Trump was going to win and the Trump won. So let's move on. And, I, you know, we spoke to Nate Cohn from New York Times. And it was released on Monday. He writes for The Upshot. And one of his states that he was really tracking, he said, was Arizona. So folks should go listen to it if you haven't already. He said quite a few interesting things. But one of his things that he was really looking at, he said, Arizona may be a good predictor of how Trump is going to do in California. Um, so the fact that he did so well and overperformed expectations may mean that he's going to do quite well in California. Yeah. So so Donald Trump, you know, at this point, well, we'll, we'll get to California in, in a moment. Um, but you've got uh, Utah was the other contest that happened this past week. And so the polls there had Cruz up by an average of 24. And in the end, Cruz won by 52 points. So, again, you have this question. Yes, the polls knew that Ted Cruz was going to win and he was going to win by a lot. But they also missed. Ted Cruz's final margin by like mm. uh, just a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Is it a polling miss? I mean, nobody is wringing their hands over it and saying, oh gosh, it's a polling miss. And also, it's a caucus, so you already know it's going to be really hard to poll. Plus, Oh, was there late break? I mean, the same stuff we've talked about right. all season. Is there is was this a late breaking did situation? That, did that digital ad that was done by did, a super did pack? The, did the Liz Mayer super pack ad with naked Melania? Did that actually move things? Um, I mean, so look, the the poll wasn't. It was wrong in that the margin was off, but it was right in that it got the answer right. And so you know, we had when Iowa happened. You know, Trump was. Did four points worse than the RCP average. Cruz did four points better than the RCP average. And that led to Cruz coming in first and Trump coming in second. And we said, oh, the polls missed. The polls said Trump was going to win and Cruz was going to get second. But in reality, that was only a wobble of four points one direction for Trump and four points the other direction for Cruz. Here we're talking about polls that missed by like 20 some odd points. But nobody cares that it's a miss because they got the result, like the order Right. Too hard to look at the actual numbers. I just want to know who's got the check. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so the next state we're moving to on the GOP side is Wisconsin, the land of cheese and Paul Ryan. And the only poll out there at the moment as of uh, press time was the Emerson poll, uh, or at least the only poll, I think, within the last month. It's IVR. Um, it shows Cruz at 36 and Trump at 35. So Wisconsin is the next big contest to watch. I think we've got about two weeks or a week and a half until we get there. And then after that, there's another long period of time before we hit New York where Emerson has Trump up by like 50. Um, but I don't believe New York is winner take all. I believe New York is at least in some way proportional. So even though Trump is up by 50, doesn't mean people can't play there for some delegates. Um, but California, as you mentioned, is the big and perhaps most interesting state. It hits in early June. And the way it works in California is you've got every congressional district gets three delegates. So the reddest of the red districts in the Inland Empire or Newport Beach, California, you know, they get three delegates. But so does Nancy Pelosi's district. So can you go find the six Republicans who live in Nancy Pelosi's district and convince them to vote for Ted Cruz? Poof, Ted Cruz gets three delegates. Um, So it's going to be – California is going to be a wild ride. I cannot wait until um, that happens because honestly, for Donald Trump to get to 1237, that's going to be the big – that's the big state. Well, so, and you know, we're entering a little bit of a sleepy zone, generally speaking, on both sides. You're going to have to listen to us talk about stuff besides the primaries hey, for a couple it's, weeks. It's- 
politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So we're going to have to find something else. Um, but on this Saturday, uh, the 26th, there's going to be three Democratic uh, caucuses in Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington State. So that'll be pretty interesting. They are considered Sanders territory, but we'll see what happens and, and uh, how, how he yeah, does there in terms may, of the This margin. race continues to be interesting on the Democratic side because you still had Sanders picking up delegates on yep. Thursday, on Tuesday, right? So yep. this is this is not over on the Democratic side, if, even if it's not the circus that you have on the Republican side. Yeah. These are still undecided contests. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, there's the, I mean, there's every reason for them to for the Sanders team to keep going for folks who are new listeners or haven't heard me disclose in a while. My husband is on Team Sanders and at least judging by his work schedule, they are still they are still going. <laughs> they, they have Inside not, information, folks. You heard it here first. They have not taken their foot off the gas, at least from where I sit. Um, so, nonetheless, it's still a little bit of a sleepy a sleepy zone um, uh, on the Democrat Republican side, especially after this Saturday contest. And you have you know Wisconsin and a couple other states. Um, one thing to look at when this got a lot of traction, a lot of folks have been looking at this when you're thinking about what's Trump's route. Um, to uh, to get to twelve um, to you know twelve thirty seven in order to get to uh, to the convention with the majority there was a piece of five thirty eight that I was part of as well as Patrick Ruffini, Kristen's business partner, and all the rest of the gang and some other experts at uh, at 538 to come up with a variety of scenarios. Like, what's your scenario of how uh, this may play out? How many delegates can we expect Trump to get in each of these states? And this was hard because every state has its own set of rules on the Republican side. It's not like the Democratic side. So you have to really understand how loophole primary works and how winner-take-all primary that's at the uh, congressional district level versus the statewide, winner-take-most. Every state does it a little bit differently. You should go to their website or listen to their podcast. They talk about the primary process on the Republican side and the delegate counting in a lot of detail. Um, but what is interesting is that when you they took the average of everybody or an Olympic average, I think they threw at the highest and the lowest um, in each state of the of the folks who had submitted scenarios, they came up with a scenario that was basically just under the majority support that Trump needs, which basically says, you know, it, there's a route he can do it. It's not a done deal for sure. There are lots of ways he can be, you know, taken off course. But he's still going to get. If he doesn't get there, he's going to get really, really close. And my scenario, which is not public as part of the average, but my scenario, basically, the the way we, the, what we can hope for, I think, unless I mean, one route is that something happens and Trump's fortune falls. Right? He all of a sudden loses a lot of ground for based on who knows what, some some great thing that happens that causes him to lose support. The other way to do it is in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic states, where a lot of those states are winner-take-all and they are closed primaries. And Trump does a little bit better with folks who are newer to the process, they're independents. So is it possible for, for someone like Kasich it's, I'm assuming it's going to have to be Kasich as opposed to Cruz doing well in mid-Atlantic and northeastern states, not in New York and New Jersey, which I think are going to be Trump territory, but in some of these other states that maybe have some kind of Rust Belt affinity to Ohio, um, can Trump be held 
you know, to, you know, not win, do not get the winner take all, can Kasich win in some of those states? And so that way you can keep Trump a little bit uh, under the majority that he needs headed into the convention. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is all magical thinking um, on on our collective parts. I don't know. No, but I I think this is very valuable to take a look at because, you know, because each state has such weird rules, you can't just assume, oh, well, you know, New York has 95 delegates available. So put 95 in Trump's column. Like, no, there are weird rules rules about how these are allocated, that every state has different rules on this front. So there's no way you, you kind of have to go on a state by state basis. Um, and so the fact that here the the av- the Olympic average total number of delegates people project Trump will have is 1208. That is 29 short of what he would need to clinch the nomination. Can you even imagine oh the God. convention if he shows up like two dozen delegates short? I mean, Un, it will be madness. It will be madness. It's going to be pretty chaotic and crazy no matter what happens. I mean, I just don't see a situation where all of a sudden he just collapses tomorrow, right? I mean, I, but who knows, right? But that's that would be the only way we could just sort of put this all behind us if like – you know, end, well, we'll talk here tomorrow. in a second about the the collapse of Trump that is happening, which is in the general election, but not not at this point in the Republican context. So that's a very detailed analysis of uh, our friends at five thirty eight. Here's something that maybe we not we wouldn't put in the column of detailed analysis, and that's a poll that came out um, from uh, Wallet Hub and Survey Monkey, and it said, "Who would you most like to punch in the face?" Or pop in the kisser, I guess. I don't know what exact question wording was. And Donald Trump ran away with that. So that one, he's definitely over a majority. But I don't like this question. I have beef with it. And it is not just that. Oh, oh you don't think that's a nice question? Vi- not that it is. I, you're asking people if they want to punch Hillary Clinton, too? I mean, you know, I, the other options the president, a congressman, an IRS agent, a tax attorney, an accountant. I really like my accountant. Why would you ever want to punch him? He's a very wonderful man. Well, Steve, if you're listening, we love you. I would never want someone to punch you. I know. I mean, this is this goes back <laughs> to this thing, right, that we've said. I mean, because this whole thing was about taxes and they had some other funny stuff like in there, like what would you rather do instead of doing oh, your God, taxes? God, I don't want to punch my accountant. I want to hug my accountant. <laughs> He's making my life a heck of a lot easier than That's it would be true. if I was left to my own devices. That's true. And there were quite a few people actually that said that they'd prefer to change baby diapers as opposed to uh, do your taxes and stuff like that, which I think is also – that seems like a no-brainer, France. Depends how yeah. many diapers, right? But anyway, um, but this question reflects – and maybe we should talk about this now and when we talk about the violence and Trump rallies, this coarseness in our dialogue that has actually infected the polling where now we're asking questions like – that have to reflect – the language that's going on in the the Trump rallies and the Trump rhetoric. So we have to ask questions about, do you you want to ban Muslims? Do you think we should have a wall? Should we just keep adding 10 feet to it over and over again, as Trump says in various debates? Now we have to have this question of who you would want to punch, in part because there's violence at Trump rallies. Otherwise, no one would ask this question. People would say, well, that's crazy. You can't say that. You can't release that. So YouGov asked a series of questions. One was, do you think that protesters at political rallies deserve to get roughed up or do not deserve to get roughed up? Can you believe this is a question we're asking? Yes. Um, and, and yet we have 
two-thirds of Americans, good job, guys, saying that people do not deserve to get roughed up at a rally. But you have 17 percent who say they do. Even a majority of Republicans say, no, protesters do not deserve to get roughed up at a rally. Um, it's 27 percent say that they do, though. I mean, that's, that upsets me. Yeah. And you, you have 8 percent of Democrats, 19 percent of independents and 27 percent of Republicans who do say Yes, these protesters deserve to get roughed up at a rally. And this question – so this poll actually Kristen brought up when we spoke at the museum. So if we have new listeners who came to our museum event, hello. So um, Kristen brought this up. This is YouGov, Huffington Post, uh, about who is responsible for uh, Trump rally violence. And this, like the do do they deserve to get roughed up thing, is is a – you know, divides – it breaks along party lines. I mean this is the kind of thing that shows how – how corrosive and partisan and divided we are as a country that even like who's responsible for rally violence is something that divides us. Yeah, this is in this question, YouGov asked, who do you think bears the most responsibility for violence at Donald Trump's campaign events? Um, And 10 percent say it's Trump supporters, 37 percent say Donald Trump, and then 44 percent say it is the protesters who deserve the who have the most responsibility. Among Democrats, 58 percent say it's Trump and then another 15 percent say Trump supporters. So only 22 percent of Democrats say that it is the protesters. Um, and then those numbers are almost exactly reversed um, among Republicans, where you have 17 percent of Republicans saying that it's Donald Trump's fault, 5 percent saying it's Trump supporters' fault. So you add that together, 22. Uh, and then you have 70 percent who say it is the protesters' fault in this case. And then independents are pretty pretty divided, but you have 47 percent who say it's the protesters' fault. You have a combined 41 percent who say it is either Trump or his supporters' fault. Uh, so independents, as they are want to be, pretty divided on this question. But um, how you view the people at fault in a Trump protest uh, depends almost entirely on your political attitudes. I mean, here's the thing about this question that I find particularly interesting is that if you look at Republicans, right, 17 percent say Trump and 70 percent say Trump protesters, right, as Kristen just went through. Now, that 70 percent, that's way more than Trump's voters. So there are people who are probably really anti-Republicans who are anti-Trump. They're voting for someone else. Maybe they're never Trumpers um, or they're the you know Republicans who are unfavorable toward Trump. But they blame – nonetheless, they blame the protesters. So that – I find that I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to think about. I mean, that shows that party ID perhaps is a bigger driver than their own kind of than well, the Republican and, internal dialogue. And as we talked about last week, we had that poll where people were asked, "Does the violence at Trump rallies make you?" Or what, I forget how it was worded, but it was something like the protests was it specific to Chicago, maybe? Yes. And it was, um, but they said, "Does this make you more or less likely to vote for Trump?" And it was kind of a wash that um, it wasn't that all of a sudden you had people that were like, "Well, I like Donald Trump," but now all of a sudden there are these protesters, so I'm walking away, that that wasn't, that if anything, this is something that was potentially helping him. Yeah. I mean, they, so the Huffington Post, YouGov poll, and then there's also a Quinnipiac national poll. They have quite a few different questions on this topic. So it's worth taking a look at. Um, They ask about fascist undertones. They don't define... Yeah, I, I question that. They they ask, do you believe that some some observers believe that Donald campaign Donald Trump's campaign has fascist undertones? Agree or disagree? 
But how many people do you think if like if I did a focus group and I said, all right, I'm writing the word fascist undertones on the board, what comes to mind? <laughs> like what would people say to that? I don't know. That's but not they, a focus group I'm eager to do. No. Let's not do that. Ho- hopefully. Don't call us if that's <laughs> for, for that project. Not open for business. Um, and then, uh, you know, is Trump encouraging violence? A majority, over, just barely half say, yes, he is. Republicans only a quarter say that. In the Quinnipiac poll, um, they asked a little bit different than YouGov. Huffington Post poll um, asked people to pick who's more responsible, Trump, the protesters or Trump supporters. In the Quinnipiac poll, there was a question about each of those individually. So you could say, I think Trump's responsible and I think the protesters are responsible. I think his supporters are responsible. You could say yes to all of them. But in that question, in, in that setup, you still have more people, almost 80 percent, who say the protesters are responsible. Um, you have fewer, 70 percent say Trump supporters are responsible and even fewer saying Trump himself are responsible. Still majority for all of those. But protesters, again, they're getting, um, I guess, winning, quote unquote, winning there. Um, so that, I think, is disturbing. and. I would say does not reflect the coverage or at least doesn't reflect the coverage I've seen. So um, I I think – I don't know what that means. I think it means that the coverage is maybe at a disconnect with people think or maybe, you know, people want to think that the coverage is uh, biased. I don't know if the coverage on Fox or other outlets is different or local outlets. So I, I think there's a there's a news question here in addition to a polling well, question. Well, the one thing that's great about Quinnipiac and high five Quinnipiac for always doing this is they release cross tabs. And so you can just you don't just get the, the overall number, but you get to see see deep within and, and not just the partisan cross tabs, but things like various demographics and what have you. Uh, and you have a situation where there's a, a big divide by – or there is a divide by gender. Uh, and this is all related to partisanship in a way because women are more likely to identify as Democrats than Republicans. You can't separate all these things. But you see that women are much more likely to say that Donald Trump is very responsible. You see that women are much more likely to say that Trump supporters are very responsible and that women are less likely to say that the protesters are very responsible. Uh, you also see a really big correlation between age and attitude on these questions, where the younger you are, the more likely you are to think that Donald Trump bears responsibility um, or, or particularly his supporters. Um, meanwhile, if you are uh, older, you, you are more likely to think that the, uh, the protesters are very responsible. So if you want even more proof that the violence and conflict at Trump rallies is not really having an effect uh, – that hurts Trump with Republicans. Gallup has released latest tracking of favorables of Trump among Republicans, and it's incredibly stable. I mean, they track back to July, and there was one moment in January where it spiked to 61% favorable, 34% unfav. Um, but it's basically even, you know, more or less stable the rest of the time. Right now it's 5541. Now their chart makes it look like there's a really big gap there. 5541 is just barely, you know, it's not really that strong of a favorable rating with your own no, party. It's actually pretty terrible considering that he's potentially about to become the party's nominee and four out of ten of an unfavorable view of him. That's yes. Astonishing. It is astonishing, but it's stable. But it is stable, mm-hmm. so it's showing that there isn't, you know, a real drop there overall um, uh, at all. Um, and they do show something 
Interesting, although not surprising, that shows that the folks among the Republicans who are most anti-Trump, they're disproportionately younger women, which I guess is not a surprise. Yeah, six out of 10 pro-Trump Republicans are over the age of 50 uh, and tend to be more male than female. Meanwhile, if you are an anti-Trump Republican, uh, 57 percent of anti-Trump Republicans are under the age, are 49 or younger. So huge generation gap within the party over – Donald Trump, which is something we saw in the exit polls as well. Right, right. Uh, and last but not least, before we abandon this uh, discussion of 2016, you know, we got to look a little bit to the general election. And, uh, you know, we've continued to see that this race between Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton remains somewhat close with Clinton ahead, 49 percent. Um, Kasich versus Clinton. Kasich continues to say, hey, I'm the best candidate in the general election. That's why he keeps hanging in there. Um, Rubio versus Clinton. Uh, we don't even need to look at anymore. Uh, But then Trump versus Clinton, you've now got a widening gap. So Trump has always been considered a pretty weak performer against Hillary Clinton. But something has happened in the last couple of of weeks that has, if not changed his fate in the Republican primary, has definitely made him – has pushed Hillary Clinton way out ahead of him in a general election. And you had uh, the most recent poll to come out was this Bloomberg Selzer poll where Trump just gets crushed with Clinton up 18. I mean, if you're talking Clinton winning nationally by 18 points, what state does Trump win? I mean, there was a poll, I think, that came out last week that showed Trump losing Utah to Clinton if she's the nominee. Right. As, I mean, the, as the reddest state in America. You know, I mean, there's some articles and, and we should dig deeper into this topic on future episodes about the scrambling of the map. Is the map changed? You know, if, Utah, if you lose Utah, if Utah turns blue, what about New York? You know, what about Pennsylvania, right? People are looking at like Rust Belt uh, states. Pennsylvania, that's Lucy in the football for Republicans every year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's the, you know, hey, guys, come and get it. Keystone State, you yes. can totally win here. I and then know. we lose it by like 12. It always happens. Yes, it's true. Sorry. But no, no, it's. I mean, it, it, you're right, right. But that's, but that's what's so. You know, that's a theory, right? The theory is you could scramble the map. You know, Trump could could uh, do badly in places with high Latino populations like Arizona, but then do well in places with uh, large populations of folks who, um, you know, where the economy is struggling a little bit, like Michigan or. Pennsylvania or New York, uh, outer New York. Um, so anyway, so that's, I think, part of the theory. But nonetheless, if you look at these general election matchups, they are both interesting and too, and, you know, premature and also nationals, obviously not how we don't decide our president based on the popular vote. Um, but all that said, the only matchup where the Republican is up is Kasich versus Clinton. Sanders does better than Clinton in all of these matchups. In some places, not that dramatically, but the Sanders versus Cruz is particularly dramatic. This is Huffington Post, by the way, their average. Uh, they have uh, 57.43 as their average in the Sanders versus Cruz. And I don't know if Trump doing badly in some of these matchups, particularly versus Clinton, that change. Is that because she's had a good streak in her primary coverage and primary wins last week? Um, or is that because Trump is getting extra Trumpy and people are moving away from him? I don't, you know, it's hard to tell from looking at but, this. But I mean, the the chart of Kasich versus Clinton does not show that Clinton has started to pull way out ahead of right. Kasich. And it doesn't show that Clinton has started to pull way, way, way out ahead of Cruz. But the the gap is much bigger on the Trump versus Clinton ballot test to me suggesting that like something is afoot there with Trump. Perhaps him not disavowing David Duke. Right. Among many other things. 
Um, so there are other things happening in politics besides 2016. Right. Stuff's happening here in the Beltway. Who knew that the sleepy political issue would be the Supreme Court? We still have a president who is still in the White House. Yes. Uh, We still have a Congress that is still in session. That's right. They are doing or not doing things. That's right. Let's talk about it. (laughs) And one of the things that is going to be, you know, a hot political topic for the next few months is uh, the Supreme Court vacancy. Um, The uh, Obama has um, said his nominee is going to be Merrick Garland. And there's been a couple of polls now that show, I think, quite clearly, and we've talked about this before, how you ask the question matters. Do you ask it about whether – you know, the president should nominate someone. I think that was how people asked this before there was a nominee. Now there is somebody. There's a you know, there's Merrick Garland. So now you can ask about Merrick Garland specifically. And uh, CBS and New York Times released a poll saying there should be a vote. Um, and 53% say yes, there should be a vote. 42% say wait till next year. That's pretty close. Um, and obviously, huge partisan divides here. Uh, Republicans, two-thirds of Republicans say wait till yes next year, although a third say hold a vote, um, although that's different than saying they would support him being, the, you know, being confirmed. Democrats overwhelmingly say, say yes, we should hold a vote. Independents uh, completely divided. Here's something that's not a surprise. Um, why won't Senate Republican leaders hold hearings on nominees for political reasons or because it's best for the country? Their three-fourths uh, overall say uh, they think it's probably for political reasons. Even half of Republicans say it's probably for political reasons. Yes. Well, and I, w- I would be surprised if there wasn't big overlap between the 52 percent of Republicans who say, yeah, this is political and the 32 percent who say that, that there should be a vote held. Um, but there was a question that that I saw and the poll itself is a Escaping me, but as I was reading through the script just now, I, I, I recalled it. Um, they they asked, I think maybe it was Gallup, um, where they said, if the shoe was on the other foot, if you had a Republican president and a Democrat in uh, Congress, or run Democrats running the Senate, would the same thing be happening? And you, I think there was like sixty some percent of Democrats said like. Yeah, this would probably be happening if you flipped it. Which sixty two percent is not all of them, but it was still. I, I think a lot of people know that this is. This is just the way of Washington, right? Now. This is our this is our reality, right? This is our new reality. Yeah. But when it comes to Merrick Garland himself, a lot of people don't yet really know about him. You have seventy percent of people overall um, who said in that poll that they haven't heard enough about him. Democrats more likely to just come right out and say that they're favorable. Meanwhile, um, you still have seventy two percent of Republicans and seventy eight percent of independents saying they they are up in the air at this point. Yeah, and and I. I this is not in here in front of us, but that was consistent with what CBS New York Times found in previous uh, confirmation battles. And then Gallup has polling uh, asking specifically, would you like to see the Senate vote in favor of Garland serving on the Supreme Court? So they just get right to the question, yes or no. And there, a majority, 52 percent to 29 percent say yes, vote in favor. About a fifth say they don't have an opinion. And that is fairly consistent with past Folks who've been confirmed. I mean, the you know the person whose numbers were not as good were Harriet Myers, and and she uh, ended up they, uh, her her nomination was withdrawn. So her numbers, I guess, reflect the outcome there. Elena Kagan has slightly lower numbers, but everybody else, from Clarence Thomas up through uh, Merrick Garland, aside from those two exceptions, had majority saying vote in favor. So maybe that means 
you know, good news for him, or at least that may, maybe that means that um, uh, if folks are looking at the polls, they'll say, well, there's a little of the people. Or maybe not. You know, we'll or maybe see. not. <laughs> Best thing that could happen to Merrick Garland may well be a Democrat winning the White House in November and Republicans during the month of November and December going, eh, yep, we'll take this guy. Yeah. He works. <laughs> he works. Congratulations, Merrick. Can we have that other guy back now? We'll yeah. take that other guy. Uh, okay, so moving on to uh, polling that's a little more uh, fun and culture-oriented. Um, some polling came out this week asking uh, why people in their 30s choose to leave companies. Why would somebody choose to leave their job? And found uh, that in some cases there are interesting differences between why men and women leave their job. But in some cases, it's not so different at all. The top reason why women say they leave their companies in their 30s, uh, I found a job elsewhere that pays more, 65%. Yep. Right. Beyonce it's, would be proud. It's not because they want free dry cleaning or their eggs frozen. <laughs> oh, my God. Or it's not because they want sushi. <laughs> I wrote about that in the book. Anyhow, um, yeah, I found a job elsewhere that pays more. And by the way, that was the number one response for women. But for men, it was there are not enough opportunities for learning and development for me here. But then uh, options one and two were flipped for men and women. Right. So the pay option was number two for men. The learning and development option was number two for women. Number three for both genders was the work here is not as interesting and meaningful as I would like. Oh, yeah, that's some millennials going on right, right there. That's that's those those early millennials or uh, late older millennials sort of messing things up. Um, there is not a fair balance between how hard I work and the compensation I receive. That is answer number four for both genders. But answer number five is where things get interesting and there is a gap. Um, number five for women is we are starting a family and I would like to spend more time with them. And half of respondents, by the way, picked this as one of the reasons why right. they've left a job. Um, for men, the fifth place answer was I I do not fit in well with the team. So presumably there are a lot more women than men who for whom the lean out sort of thing is at least one of the factors. Right. Even if at the same time they are just as likely as the guys to say time to pay up. Right. Exactly. Mama wants to get paid. Right. And I mean I think that's interesting. I mean look, it makes sense that – that family would appear on the list here for women, but the fact that it's not number one is an important reminder. And so the the report, yes. which was written about the Harvard uh, Business Review, but it was done by another firm, I think IC, I don't know how you pronounce it, but ICEDR, um, uh, where they did a whole bunch of work on millennials. Um, so they asked some millennials, like we sometimes ask our resident millennials some questions. Um, and you know, their recommendation is don't assume that all all the women in their 30s at your office are having work family issues. Maybe they simply want to be paid more. And so one of the stories about the study said that one – the headline was sort of annals of headline optimization, that one neat trick to get women to in their 30s to stay at their jobs and that one neat trick was simply to pay them more, which is obviously easy for a headline writer to write, <laughs> sometimes a little harder to do in practice. Um, the other uh, story in gender news came from New York Times, The Upshop. And this is some research that they did, which I've seen this point made before uh, it, when it comes to jobs. And also you see it when it comes to names, first names, which is once women take over, their the value decreases, right? So once women take over uh, a job and the, the number of women in that job increases, the pay decreases. And so that, that explains a good chunk of the pay gap, which – 
I think is an important finding. It doesn't mean that there isn't discrimination, but it may mean that, you know, some of the things we talk about in terms of remedying this gap may not actually work. Right. That a lot of times when we talk about the pay gap and, you know, hey, you're only getting paid 77 cents what your male coworker is getting paid is not actually the sort of thing that's driving the pay gap. That when you talk about that 77 cent number, you're in some ways comparing apples and oranges. And what this is saying here is that maybe the arrow is running the opposite direction. It's not, well, hey, well, women are just picking these low-paying jobs, so that explains the pay gap. Um, And it's also not, well, women and men both in the same job, women are consistently getting – I mean, there are certainly perhaps cases where that's happening. But that overall, if it is that when women move into a field or when a field becomes a more female-dominated, that suddenly it becomes less well-compensated. That, to me, is a really fascinating finding and certainly does reshape, I think, some of the ways we think about the pay gap as discrimination or right. not, as not discrimination. Right. Well, it, it may be discrimination, but that's maybe societal discrimination as opposed yeah. to something you can just pin on an employer. Right. right. Um, so, I mean, in, you know, nonetheless, it's problematic, right? And they give some really good examples in the story, which is always we link to about uh, designers or housekeepers, biologists as those fields. So that's a, ver- a very diverse list of fields. As women became, uh, you know, started the numbers, their ranks rose, the pay dropped. Even computer programming, which they say used to be a relatively menial role done by women, but that is no longer the case. Um, and then it paid more and gained prestige as it became more disproportionately. Oh, I can tell my. My husband didn't listen to one of our recent episodes because he would have called me out on me calling him a programmer, and he hasn't brought it up yet. So we'll see. That's good. Chris, this is your test. Are you listening to the show? That's good. There's, yeah, there have been times where my husband's like, you know what you need to talk about on the show. I'm like, we already did that in episode 52. Busted. Busted Julian. <laughs> so uh, last but not least, it's Easter this weekend, and of course, there's a fun survey for us to talk about the National Confectioners Association today survey. 80% of parents will be helping the Easter Bunny this this year. 90% think candy is a treat that makes holidays better, I guess. Who are the, I guess the other 10% are real buzzkills, right? And then <laughs> 91% have a plan to talk about candy moderation, which, I mean, I joked about on Twitter that, that, you know, that plan is like, please do not eat all the candy right now. That's the plan. Like, <laughs> okay, I give up. It's Easter. Eat all the candy. You don't have like a moderator's guide to go, like to facilitate this discussion of like, let's let's talk about this, kids. How many pieces of candy do you think is an appropriate number to eat in the next five seconds? <laughs> okay, 150? Great. Okay, anybody else have a different number? <laughs> That's how it's going to go at my Easter probably. Well, I always get really excited that this is the time of year when Cadbury cream eggs are available because it's one of my favorite things. Oh, you think they're gross? I've this never is, is tried this our them. double spaced, double, yes. two spaces after a period of the week? We yes. always get to this part of the show. This is it's where never really the Republican upset. versus Democrat stuff that gets us. It's how many spaces after a period and whether or not Cadbury cream eggs are delicious or horrible. <laughs> I have to say I've never tried one because the commercial when I was a kid made them look so disgusting. I was like, there's no way I want that because I was just a kid. Oh, I'm doesn't like, it I, have like a bunny having an egg like isn't that kind of part of the ad like, yes the that's bunny weird. like lays a chocolate egg that's and it crazy. looks like there's an egg yolk inside a chocolate i mean the whole thing is just gross me out as a kid i'm like you know what that's not for me like i don't want that even though i mean it's not like i'm anti-candy so I'm hopefully definitely. this won't gross you out but one of my the most amazing things that i ever ate um 
this is going to sound horrifying, listeners, uh, trigger warning, I guess. Um, I was in the UK for the very first time and through a random series of events, wound up at a McDonald's. Don't judge me um, for going no overseas judgment. and eating at a McDonald's. Although it was the UK, so it's not like, like oof. Tons of local cuisine. I was super broke. It's a long story. Anyhow, I was at a McDonald's in the UK and they had Cadbury cream egg McFlurries. And so the mm. Margie looks like nauseated as I'm mm. saying this. Like it was – yeah, it was – I think if you're not seeing like a kind of crack like an egg, I would No, be okay so it was – the it. yolk was in like one of those like jars like a – or not like a jar, like a squeezy thing like a, like ketchup would be in. And oh, so no, it would horrible. like – you would like sque- – oh. oh, no. God, Margie's like <laughs> gross, gross. Make it stop. No, it was really tasty. Okay. Anyhow. <laughs> I believe you. I mean I, clearly I have a block because I've never tried them. So I know they're not – I know intellectually they're not – there isn't an egg. Yolk, raw egg, and that candy. <laughs> but that's how that's how I. All right, listeners, tweet it. at us. What what is your take on the great Cadbury cream egg debate of 2016? So, <laughs> it, yes, exactly. So, key findings for the week: Bodie McBoatface might have a better chance of stopping Trump <laughs> at this point. <laughs> is Trump inciting violence responsible for violence or making people dream and poll about violence? Sadly, even these questions divide us. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll turn to something surprisingly less controversial, the Supreme Court vacancy. What do women want? Perhaps the same thing as men? Want to get paid. Exactly. And what do all <laughs> parents want this Easter? A plan to keep candy under control. Good luck with that. You can find us online at thepolsters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at, at thepolsters and individually at, at Soltis Anderson and at Margie O'Mero. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, your favorite podcatcher, and follow us on Facebook, where throughout the week we will post links to stories that we might be talking about on the upcoming shows. Bye. Thanks.